Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. You are listening to episode number 36 of the Awesomers.com podcast series. This is episode 36, so to find show notes and details related to this particular episode, just go to Awesomers.com slash 36. As always, that's Awesomers.com backslash 36. Now today my special guest is Mario Pereca, and I probably got his last name mispronounced, that's my custom. But I want to just share with you some of Mario's story. Now, he started as a performer. As soon as he was able to walk, he was sneaking around the waiting room of his father's chiropractic clinic and putting on shows for the patients who were waiting. Everyone loved his shows except the staff, who grew tired of seeing the same renditions of Dumbo, Willy Wonka, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, not to mention Wizard of Oz, over and over and over again. Little did Mario know at the time that performing and teaching are brothers. As he got older, his love for performing matured into personal growth and development with an intense desire and intent to take what he learned and teach it to others. He loves giving people and helping them uh, to earn a genuine smile from their inner joy, and that's always been at the heart of his mission. After high school, Mario pursued his second love in life with the goal of changing people's lives using his passion as a medium, and that passion was food. He was a very successful chef for nearly six years before the intense calling of working more closely with others was just simply too loud to ignore. Food as an experience has always been and will always be a major part of his life. From cooking with his grandfather at a very young age to devoting an early part of his life to it, food has always played a major role in how he communicates and how he lives. He left the kitchen and started his own business, ironically, out of his father's chiropractic clinic coaching people on how to reach their health, wellness, weight, and mindset goals. As Mario operated this business, he was also studying and spending time every available second about mindset, psychology, personal growth, spiritual development, and much more to apply what he's learned in his own life and to be able to take that and help it serve others at a deeper, more profound level. Mario's authored two cookbooks geared towards healthy living. He's also authored a third book centered around achieving personal and business success. Mario has appeared on television over 50 times promoting his books and his businesses and has been a featured speaker for numerous groups, events, schools, corporations, etc. We're thrilled to have Mario on board and he's joining us today from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Let's listen in now and see where this awesome journey takes us. Awesomers, we're back again to Steve Simonson, and I'm bringing you a very special guest, Maria Pareko. Am I getting it right? Close, Pareka. 
Pareka. <laughs> Dang. I'm, uh, I'm only batting about 50% this month on getting uh, pronunciations right. It's a tough name. It's even harder to spell. Whenever someone asks me my last name, I always have to point out it's two R's, one C, because people tend to want to do it the opposite way. So it's all good. Pareka. Okay, so uh, just for those uh, keeping score at home, most of the people call me Steve Simpson, despite no P in my name at all. So I'm, uh, I'm right there with you when it comes to challenges with the last name. So Mario, thank you for joining us. Uh, I, we've already kind of read the intro and a little bit about your bio and history, which sounds fascinating, by the way. But uh, if you could just help us in general terms, kind of tell us what takes up your time on a day-to-day basis today. Yeah, on a day-to-day basis, well, my pod, I, every morning starts with my podcast, 10-Minute Mindset. So that's how I start every single morning, and we go through a specific routine on that podcast called the GEO Method, which stands for Gratitude Intention Outcome, and it's a way for uh, busy achievers to set the foundation for their day. Because what I noticed was I do a lot of coaching as well. And what I noticed was the people that I'm coaching, they tend to start their day off in a pretty bad state. Whether they're sitting in rush hour traffic or they sleep in and hit snooze too many times, they tend to start out just on a low energy profile and in a pretty negative way. And that bleeds into every aspect of our life. So if we can start... What my intention was to help people start their day in a powerful way from a place of intention, creating clear outcomes, and to be able to build throughout the day action items that will actually help them build momentum towards those outcomes. So every single morning, uh, Monday through Friday, we start with 10-minute mindset. And that is a live, I do it live at 7.30 in the morning. And then I upload the recording as a podcast because I know that I'm not naive. I know people on the West Coast aren't going to get up at 4.30 in the morning to listen to a live call so they can get it on the podcast. And the podcast version of it actually has taken on a life of its own. So that I put a lot of time and energy into that first thing in the morning. And then throughout the day, it's basically, I always make sure I get to the gym at some point throughout the day. That's my me time. So I spend an hour a day at the gym. I like to lift weights. That's what I do. But aside from that, I'm talking to clients. I do some coaching. I, uh, I, I do a lot of cooking because I used to be a chef. So I have, I do public speaking. That's a full-time thing that I do. So I'm planning speaking gigs and I'm traveling and I use cooking in my talks to share ideas and to help entrepreneurs share ideas and busy achievers. Um, so I have a lot of things that, that I go on and every day, it's fun. It's a day-to-day thing, depending on what my schedule is, doing podcast interviews, interviewing for my podcast, speaking, and coaching. But I, my, my main objective every day is to just get in the flow and to get into peak state and to stay there as long as possible. Because I read a study a while ago that they did where, and this keeps coming up on my podcast and everything that we talk about, where they, they studied people who were on their deathbed. And they asked them, they did it for a large group of people. This was like a seven year long study. And they wanted to find out the people right before they pass, who were the most fulfilled, who were the happiest. And what they found was it's not the people who went on the most vacations. It's not the people who made the most money. It's not the people who were the most famous, but it was the people who spent the most time in the state of flow or in their peak state. And what that means is if you've ever started a project or something that you really enjoyed and you put an intense amount of focus into and you started it, and you're working and you're doing your thing. And then all of a sudden you look up and five hours have gone by and you're like, where did that time go? That's being in that state of flow where you're just flowing and your energy comes out and you're doing what you love to do. So the people who spend the most time at that place are typically the people at the end of their life that feel the most fulfilled and they feel like they got the most out of life and they contributed the most to other people, which in turn creates fulfillment. And so that's kind of my objective every day is how do I get into this state of flow and how do I stay there as long as possible? Boy, I love that. And there's so much to talk about with the 10-minute the mindset and this concept of geo, which I, I'm already in love with. And then the, you know, we use the, 
the, uh, I guess, uh, parable about, you know, what do you want to be said on your deathbed? Or, you know, what do you want the environment to be around your deathbed? And I've reflected uh, in the opening Osmer's podcast that nobody is going to be at their deathbed and, and push little Timmy forward. And, you know, Timmy, you know, I, I just need to know what's my Google ranking today, right? No, nobody cares. That, that's just not part of what life is really about. So I love all this. We're going to talk about more in depth and get into your origin story, but we're going to do it right after this break. We'll be right back. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, congratulations on your success to date. Your creativity, strategic vision, problem solving, and discipline have allowed you to build your own e-commerce business. Wouldn't it be great if you had more time to focus on the things that truly drive the sales and growth of your company? Instead of getting lost in a dozen different services and countless spreadsheets, what if there was one system that connected to your Amazon account and automatically gave you the information that you needed to make great decisions and really impact your business? Parsimony ERP can do that. Parsimony is the business operating system for your marketplace business. With Parsimony, you get true double entry bookkeeping, easy financial statements, full customer service tools, and item by item profitability, along with project and task management, and more features are being added all the time. Learn more at parsimony.com. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back again. Uh, Steve Simpson here with Mario Pareka. You got it. Woo! I'm a one for two. Uh, so that's <laughs> I'm back to my fifty percent. <laughs> I just want to point out too. I love the break that we just took because I come from a background in radio. So I did. Radio, I had my own radio show, like terrestrial radio show for three years. The thing with the dial on it. That I've heard of it. Yeah. So millennials yeah. hashtag. Yeah. Uh, you can look that up on Wikipedia. But I've uh, exactly. I've actually exactly. used one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that took me back to those days when we would take commercial breaks because we actually had sponsors for the program that allowed us to be on the air. So it's like a blast from the past. I love it. It is. Yeah. And, you know, in our version of the world, we, we kind of take those breaks and we have a, a couple sponsors that are basically other companies that I either fund, support or own uh, to, to just try to help uh, pay some bills. Because as it turns out, nobody pays me to do a podcast. Uh, I don't know if you found that with your podcast, but nobody's writing checks. So Really? I make millions with my podcast. Well, see, there you go. I've, I have so much to learn. So that's another thing. It's a good time for people to run out there. Uh, the, the name of your podcast is The 10-Minute Mindset, right? Correct. So let's everybody get out there, go uh, subscribe to that, and take a listen. What, what a great idea to be able to have kind of a daily check-in to get your mind organized first thing. Uh, us West Coasties, we can do it just about as early as we like, it sounds like. And the East Coasties do it at 7.30 a.m. live or hear the podcast at their leisure. So really Correct. Smart. Every morning, 7.30 a.m., uh, we do it live. And then by the time I get it, I do clean it up a little. So I get the recording after the live. And I don't edit out content, but I clean it up so it's just a cleaner listen. And uh, it ends up being somewhere between 11 and 13 minutes typically. But that's it's it's always good stuff. And I usually get the day's episode up no later than between 9.30 and 10 a.m. Eastern time. So between 6.30 and 7.30 on the West Coast, you'll be able Amazing. to get that day's episode. It's uh, truly a lot of plates spinning. So before we kind of dive into some of those day-to-day uh, -day plates that you uh, unpacked for us earlier, let's talk about where you came from. Uh, where were you born, Mario? I was actually born in Davenport, Iowa. Uh -huh. And uh, my father was in chiropractic school at Palmer College, and I lived in Iowa all of two weeks, and then we moved back to Pittsburgh, where where I grew up, and I live today. So yeah, it was uh, a little bit of a trek. But the, the the funny thing about that story is, when I got my driver's license, 
my birth certificate got misplaced and it was such a headache to have to get it from Davenport and have them mail it here. So that's just a funny thing that I lived there all of two years, but it still had an impact in my life later. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, did you say two years or two weeks? I'm sorry, two weeks, two weeks. Because yeah, I was going to yeah. say, even two weeks, you just don't have time to set down roots. So Davenport's probably not, uh, you're not visiting it and thinking about the olden days. Uh, you're well, a Pittsburgh guy. I have gone back a couple times, but there are no old, real olden days for me to remember. <laughs> so yeah, but it is, a, it is a fascinating place. It's a great little town. I do enjoy visiting. I love it. So, so in Pittsburgh now, uh, g- give us a sense of what what did your parents do? You're you're obviously everything from a chef to kind of entrepreneurial coaching mm-hmm. and so forth. You you've carved out this life. What what, what about your parents? Yeah. Well, my dad's a chiropractor. So he's had his own business, his own clinic for over 30 years. And my mother is a registered nurse. But after I was born, she went and worked with my father. So she is the office manager at his practice. And he works in his practice now three days a week. And the other days he goes around and he does speaking and he speaks on uh, health, natural health, toxicity, functional medicine, things of that nature. So I grew up around knowing the value of health, knowing the value of, of taking care of yourself. And that's what really kind of ultimately led me in the direction that I'm in today in kind of a roundabout way. And I grew up around a business owner and a family that was, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you know better than anyone, you eat what you kill. And I grew up around that and that mindset. So when I first started as a chef and I actually went and worked for someone else to learn the ropes, it was very foreign to me. It was very different. I didn't like the idea of somebody else telling me when I had to be at work and what I had to do when I was there and when I was allowed to go home and if I was allowed to go on vacation. And to me, most people, it's the other way around. They, I don't want to say most people, but a lot of people, they grow up with that employee mindset. And that's rapidly changing today. And it's, it's just such a breath of fresh air to see how entrepreneurism and owning your own business and even starting an online venture is really becoming a mainstream, respectable thing that most people aspire to. Yeah, I can say that, you know, I started uh, in business, this is my 30th year, uh, coming into my 30th year in business for myself. And uh, if you told somebody you're an entrepreneur back in the kind of late 80s when I began, uh, they just basically assumed you were unemployed. That's that was the code word for unemployed. And today, I live I, in my I, parents' basement. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so the way uh, it has evolved uh, happily is that you know it's now seen as you know part of a potential for freedom lifestyle. It's a potential to make your own choices. The the uh, of course uh, myth, as the e myth calls it, of you being your own boss is hilarious because uh, you just have a bunch more bosses when you have a bunch of customers. Uh, and you have to learn how to make those customers happy and so forth. But uh, and this idea that you don't have to work now that you're the boss that, you know, nothing further from the truth until you get your systems and processes in place. So it's it's a great thing, though, to, to see the gig economy taking off and see people have choices that, uh, you know, I, I was talking with a, another company about entrepreneurial exit strategies. And, you know, he he referred to it as option strategies instead of the concept of when can I sell my business? It's like, I'm going to run my business as if I'm going to own it forever. And along the way, I'm going to get so many offers for it because it's so valuable. I have options. And that's really what freedom comes from is options. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. The, those options are, are crucial. And the funny thing is when I first started in business for myself, which was a little over 10 years ago, uh, people would always, they, they, 
would think it was such a mystical thing because I was pretty young at the time. I was in my early 20s. And they would say, well, I bet you get to sleep until 11 and you don't have to set an alarm clock. And I said, well, yeah, I can if I want to. But if I want to eat and I want to live indoors, I don't do that (laughs) because, you know, you do have the options. But again, if you're passionate about what you're doing too, you don't want to stay in bed. You want to get up and you want to go out and do you, you have so much more energy and more enthusiasm for taking on the day. So I think that the, the outlook that you just explained where uh, you want to run your business for forever, but you have options along the way is a great way of looking at it. Because if you start a business with the intent to sell the first day you start it, are you really going to operate at the highest level? Because you're just trying to offload That's your game plan. And I'm really one that believes in the long game, playing that long game, that long-term game. I'm willing to leave money on the table today if I know that I can come back later and pick up more and serve better and pick up more later on. And that's just always been my philosophy is what in the long term is going to serve the customer better? What in the long term is going to build more of a solid foundation for me? And so I've turned things down in order to pick more things up later. And so I believe that that long game, and if I was someone who said, I want to sell my business that I started within four years, I probably wouldn't do that. And by making those decisions, I probably wouldn't serve my customers as well. And I probably wouldn't be in a position that I am. So that long game is so important. It truly is. And that is for sure a normal awesomer mentality to say, even if today I could take something easy and have a, a short-term gain, I will forego that in, in the concept that the long run will be better at, for everybody and uh, without delay even. Now, once you understand that the long game exists and that it's worth so much more when you, when you kind of let it uh, marinate and, and do the right things, uh, definitely, I think that's a, a very salient point. So uh, let's talk a little bit more. Now, did you attend university? I did. I went to community college. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did that was I, when I first was in high school, I knew I wanted to be a chef. That's, when I was growing up, my, as I said, my father would travel a lot. So he would speak or he would be out at seminars for chiropractors and things of that nature. And so when he would travel, a lot of the times I'd go with him, but some, a lot of the times too, I would stay with my grandparents, which were his mom and dad. And my grandfather came from Italy. And when he retired, he owned, he was an entrepreneur as well. He owned a very large commercial construction company in the seventies and sixties and seventies. And when I was born was the year that he ended up retiring. So when I would stay with him, we would have a couple activities. Number one, he had a full woodworking workshop in his basement. So we would go and make things in the basement, which I thought was a blast. So I got to work with my hands, but then we would cook because he loved to cook. And so him and I would cook together. And that's where my love of cooking came from. We'd watch food network when it's early days. I'm talking like Emerald live days back then, which was awesome. And we would cook. And so then I knew I wanted to be a chef first. I wanted to be a carpenter and then I wanted to be a chef. So I went to, uh, when I graduated high school, I was going to go to the CIA, Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. That was my first goal. But I realized it's a very, very, it's called the Harvard of cooking schools. It's a very expensive school to attend. And I realized that I never worked in a formal kitchen before at that point. I had other jobs, but I never worked in a kitchen. So I thought if I go there for even a semester and I don't like it, then, you know, I'm costing my dad a lot of money because he was going to, he had me, but he was going to pay for my schooling. So I ended up saying, look, I'm going to go to community college for a semester. If I really like it, I can always transfer. If I don't like it, then nothing gained, nothing lost. I can switch and we didn't lose too much. So I went to community college. 
I ended up landing an apprenticeship at the number one city club in America, which is here in Pittsburgh, which was much more valuable than any education I could have gotten just going to school. So I went to school one day a week, all the, all day long. And then I worked like 60 hours a week at this place. Other than that, But I got paid to go there. So I ended up paying for my entire education myself in cash because I was working all along the way. And I got a much better education than I would have gotten anywhere else. So I started there in the kitchen. So I did a three-year apprenticeship and one day a week went to school. But when I went to school, I went from like 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So it was like a 12-hour school day. Wow. And then the rest of the week, I was working a lot of hours in a very intense environment. That, yeah, that, that yeah. kind of work in itself is already very demanding. And it's yeah. because it's kind of, uh, you know, retail focused, you know, you got to be, you know, early and late. It's, it's just a very grueling yeah. uh, situation. It reminds me of, you know, how people go through, um, you know, whatever apprenticeships, medical school or these things, they're just absolutely grueling uh, at those times, but you learn so much, right? I mean, that's ultimately where absolutely. you got your skills, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I wouldn't trade those days, even though they were a lot of hard work. I did that for, I ended up staying on after I graduated and I was there for an additional, oh, about three years after my apprenticeship. And I was worked in management at that point. And I was a kid in his early twenties managing 40 cooks and uh, most of them were older than me. Um, so it was a great experience. I learned a lot about, I learned a lot about work ethic, a lot about hard work, a lot about commitment and a lot about dealing with people and different personalities and being able to manage people and being able to gain respect from people who put in a lot more time and effort up to that point. And so those skills, the skill sets that I learned there were very, very valuable to me. Uh, along the way. And of course, the food is something I've always been passionate about and I always will be, just not in the capacity of cooking professionally for a paycheck week to week. Yeah, yeah, I understand completely. Um, so that's a, an amazing lesson that you've learned so far in your journey. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk again a little bit more about uh, maybe some aha moments or some uh, def defining moments that Mario had along his journey. And we'll be right back right after this. Empowering. The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back again, everybody. Steve Simonson here on awesomers.com. And uh, Mario was just kind of uh, sharing some of the big lessons he's learned uh, along the way during his apprenticeship and, and time at uh, university. And, and I, I love the fact that you say, I wouldn't trade that time for anything, despite it's hard, you know, kind of grueling hours and so forth. And that, that really is something that uh, I enjoy, that there are some times that I had where I worked for literally two to three years in a row without a single day off. And although it was tough and it was hard to do, and I don't really want to go back there and do it again, I, I don't, um, I don't bemoan it. I, I'm not uh, sad about it. It just it helped me get to where I am. Is that kind of how you look at it as well? Absolutely. I mean, when I worked uh, in the restaurant world for six years, I got one Saturday off in six years. So I, it was it was a lot. And there was a stretch there at one point during our busy season, and we used to get really really busy, that I worked like 35 straight days without a day off. And it was intense and it was tough. But at the same time, as you said, and there, this is 10 years later, I still 
have dreams that I'm working there again. So that's how, you know, I'll wake up and I'll be like in a cold sweat and be like, what is going on? But it was a great experience. The people I worked with were phenomenal. Uh, the boss that I had, uh, the executive chef, I still talk to him to this day. He has had a very profound impact, just a total professional and uh, someone that I aspired to, to be like that taught me a lot. So, I mean, and he gave me a shot when I had no other background at, the, at a very high-end property. And so he worked hand-in-hand -hand mm -hmm. with me to teach me the ropes and show me things. So it was a great experience. I, like I said, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was the foundation that I was able to build everything up to this point on. Without yeah, that, I don't think I would be here today. As I like to say, that's just kind of uh, intellectual equity, right? All those, uh, the behaviors and the patterns and the, the, the things that we learn, the skills and so forth, all that's intellectual equity. So I, I love to hear that. Now, let me ask you this. Was there, was there any defining moment between kind of then and now that, that kind of helped put you on the road uh, that, that you could share with us? Well, there are two come to mind. First, the first one was when I was still working there. And uh, I'll tell this story real quick. I don't think I've ever told this story before, so I'll tell it real quick. This is where I learned that mindset was so important and what actually got me into it. I was working in there's when I first started working in the restaurant world, we started, they started everyone off in the salad pantry. So all you would do is make salads and there were different salads and you would do the fruit for if someone ordered fruit for dessert, you would peel it, cut it and serve it and all that stuff. And then once you got done with salads and you got your first promotion, cause this is the old French brigade style kitchen. Keep in mind, it's not like the, the kitchen you'll see at Applebee's down the street. This is old school in the textbooks type thing, how it was run. So once you graduated from, the salad pantry, you got promoted to a station called Garmanger, and Garmanger is the cold kitchen. So it's all the cold appetizers. It's uh, like making uh, pâtés and terrines and what, anything called salad dressings and um, just things of that nature, making like the crab cakes. We wouldn't cook them, but we'd make them. And so there was a lot of responsibility there because a lot of the hors d'oeuvres are very intricate and you don't see that in a lot of kitchens anymore. So this is something that was very, very classical, but kind of outdated. It's the hardest station to run in the entire kitchen. And typically they would have two people that would run that station, sometimes three, depending on how busy we were. Well, when I first got promoted to there, I got moved there out of necessity because the person who was ahead of me just didn't show back up after lunch. And that happened in that place quite a bit because it was a lot of pressure. So they said, guess what? You're going over there. So I went over there and I knew nothing about it. And I was by myself there. And I thought, and, and I looked at the executive sous chef as I was walking over there and I said, what do I do? And he looked at me and he just said, sink or swim. And that's all he said. So I had to go over and I had to figure it out. And I didn't know where anything was. I didn't know it was on the menu. So I thought, if I can just get through today, then tomorrow they'll have someone working with me that can train me and teach me. Well, that ended up being a year of me working that station by myself. But in any case, um, I'll never forget one day when I was over there in this station, I was in the weeds, which is a common term used in the cooking industry where you're way behind and you're freaking out and you're sweating. And there was a dish on the menu that just came out. And it was duck. I don't know if you're familiar with prosciutto. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we made our own, but we made it with duck breast. So we took a duck breast, we cured it, we hung it and let it dry, and then we would slice it real thin and we'd serve it with it. We served it with a melon carpaccio and some basil and some different things. So I was getting this dish ready and I had it over at the slicer and I'm slicing it. And executive chef comes out of nowhere and just freaks out because I'm cutting it the wrong way because you have to cut it a certain way and duck breasts are very thin and electric slicers are dangerous. You don't want to mess with those things. They have a hand guard there for a reason. I've seen some injuries with those. 
So he's showing me how to do this. And he, this guy, you got to keep in mind, he's one of the best chefs in the world. He came from the, he was the coach of the culinary Olympic team in the nineties. And he can do things in the kitchen that most people can't, won't even think about. So he's trying to figure out how we're going to slice this perfectly. And he starts slicing it on the slicer without the hand guard. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And so he shows me how to do it and walks away. And I'm like looking at it, thinking about it. And then the sous chef comes over, who's right underneath the chef. And he's like, what are you doing? And I told him, I said, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. He just showed me how. So he's like, let me see that. So this is the guy that's like next in command, right? So he's trying to do it. He can't figure out. So the chef comes back over and freaks out even more because not only can I not do it, but his next in command can't do it. And so now he has to do it. And when you're the executive chef, you shouldn't be doing work like that. But he had to do it. So he was not happy. So at that time, one of the food runners came over and a food runner is the person that would take the food to the wait staff. So in this property, the wait staff would take the order from the table. They would give the check to the runner. The food runner would bring it to the kitchen. We would prepare it, give the prepared food to the food runner and the food runner would take it back to the waiter. So the wait staff shouldn't have had to come to the kitchen. So the food runner came up to pick up a tray of hors d'oeuvres. So I'm getting them ready and I'm freaking out. And she could see that the chef was over there. And she just looked at me because she could tell I was in a precarious situation. And she just looked at me and said, you really hate your job, don't you? And I looked over at the chef as he's slicing this. And he just like looked up and glared at me like he's waiting for And I knew that whatever I said right now was going to be very important to the rest of my professional well-being here. (laughs) So I looked up from what I was doing and I said, no. It's not that I hate my job. I just wish I was better at it. And he liked that answer. And that, he calmed down. He was, helped me out. Everything was good. But that's when I realized that mindset is the most important thing. Because even though you can't do something or you don't know how to do it yet, if you have the right mindset and the right attitude about it, it'll still get done and it'll get done at a high level. And so that was the first aha moment I had with like, wow. I don't know where that answer came from. I knew it was important, but I got it out there and it was the right way to answer that. And it was the right way of approaching that situation. Don't, don't hate what you're doing because you're not good at it or you're not adequate. You don't have the skill set yet. Just figure out a way to get better at it over time. Boy, that was the first thing. Such a good one. I'm going to have you come back to that second one, but just for the Oscars out there listening, you know, not only did that probably help Mario mentally go, you know, really, this is just a question of me acquiring the skills but with the pressure of the executive chef staring down and waiting for that, that answer, it, it actually diffused that chef too, right? Because he, he realized, well, gosh, you can't blame the guy if he doesn't know how to do it. You actually have to teach him how to do it. And so everybody kind of was able to kind of uh, uh, downplay that uh, situation or at least ratchet it down a little bit. Uh, really good example. Uh, exactly. what, what's, your, uh, what's your other one? Yeah. And well, the, just to add to that really quickly before sure. I get to the other one is you can't get mad at someone who really wants to learn and really wants to try and really wants to get better. So if you have that attitude of, I just need to figure this out, I'm going to do it. And I have the intent, intent trumps all. If you have the intention to get better and to serve at the highest level, you're always going to figure it out. And you're always going to have the support to do that. The second one was after I worked there, I was always an athlete growing up and I played baseball my whole life and I always stayed in good shape. And like I said, I grew up with my father being a chiropractor. So I knew the value of keeping your body in shape, having energy, feeling really good, you know, staying at your peak in that area because your body is the vehicle with which you experience the world. So after working in the restaurant, being in all the stress, the competitive environment, being around great food all day long, it was like the perfect storm. And I looked up one day five years later, and I was like 60 pounds heavier. 
And I felt terrible. It bled into my attitude. I started to be just a miserable person, didn't like where I was. And so the first thing I knew I needed to do was take care of my body, was to get my body back in check. I knew if I got my body back in check, my energy would go back up. I could start back on my routine at the gym, and then I could figure out the rest from there. And I didn't know what to do, though. So I'm thinking, how am I going to pull this off? I'm working all these hours. How am I going to get myself back? I don't have, I really didn't have time to sleep as much as I should have been, let alone be able to go to the gym. So I'll never forget the one day I went and I picked up my father from the airport because I was working in downtown Pittsburgh and the airport was like 10 miles away. So as soon as I was done working, I went and picked him up from a speaking gig. And this is my dad, right? I'm very close with my family and my father, old school Italian family. And I didn't recognize him until he was like 10 feet in front of me because he lost so much weight. And I looked at him, he lost 80 pounds. And I thought, man, you look great. So I said, what are you doing? I, want, I need help. I need to do this. So he said, I'll help you, but you have to do everything I tell you. And I said, okay. So I did everything he said. Within six months, I lost 70 pounds. I felt great. My energy went up. And that's the point where people started coming to me and saying, how did you do this? What did you do? And so I started coaching them because I said, here, I'll just tell you exactly what he told me and I'll just do this. So just from word of mouth and just from doing that within six months, I was making more coaching people to lose weight than I was as a chef. And that's the point where I stopped and I looked and I thought, number one, I feel more fulfilled because I feel like I'm making a bigger impact on people, helping them get their health in check. And number two, I've just been letting people come to me based on my results. What if I got intentional about this and actually went out and started talking to people and trying to help people? So that was the point where I decided I was going to leave the cooking professional cooking world and go out and pursue this weight loss coaching business. And so I did that. And after about six months of doing that is when I realized that all, nearly all the people that I would coach would get a result if they did what I said. But half of them would keep the result for the long term like I did and make a lifestyle change. And the other half would inevitably, they'd hit their goal, be really happy for a week or two, and then go back to their old ways and gain all their weight back. And it boggled my mind. I was like, what? how could someone put all this time, effort, and energy into finally achieving the goal they want to achieve and then go back to their old ways? And so I started asking a lot of questions. I started asking the people that were doing it. I started asking healthcare professionals, personal trainers, doctors, scientists, anyone I could find that had experience there, I was trying to figure out why this was happening. And what I found was the differentiating factor was, was mindset, that the half of the people that would keep the weight off, they had long-term goals. They knew, I want to lose this weight because I want to experience life differently. I want to be able to have more energy to put into my business, to spend with my kids, to show up in the world differently and just experience life at the next level. And then when they would get close to their goal, they would set another goal. So it wasn't just, I want to lose the 25 pounds. They would lose maybe 23 pounds. And then they'd say, okay, now I want to run a marathon or now I want to do a tough mutter or now I want to put on five pounds of muscle or now I want to do, try something else that, you know, that the levels up that goal to the next level. Whereas the other half of the people that would go back, they would have the goal of, I want mo most of the time, I want to fit in this dress for this wedding. I want to look great at my high school reunion. Um, the, the goals such as that, I want to look great in my bathing suit when I go on vacation. And they would get to that point, feel really good, and all they would focus on is this event, this event, this event. They'd get to that event, they'd feel really good about it, but then after the event was over, they would step back and go, well, now what? I just wanted to get to that event. I lost the 25 pounds. And anytime we feel, what I learned was anytime we feel confused or overwhelmed or there's a challenge, we always revert back to our strongest conditioning. And their strongest conditioning, since they weren't planning on doing that for the long term, 
they just planned to get to that event. Their strongest conditioning was what they were doing before they started to lose the weight. So they would go back to that. And when they would look in the mirror, they didn't change their identity. So they would still see themselves as the heavier version of themselves. And when that happens, it's just a matter of time before you remanifest that back into the world. So I knew that mindset was the differentiating factor between, and when I say that, I mean success, because success in and of itself is not, can you achieve a goal? Because anyone can achieve a goal. Achieving a goal is not really that difficult. But what is, is can you keep the goal? Can you maintain that goal? And not only maintain it, but can you build on it? Can you move to the next goal? If you, want, if you lose the 25 pounds now, can you stay there? Because you have, did you change your identity and grow into the type of person that's 25 pounds later to experience life there? And now can you move on to do something that you couldn't have done before? so that it becomes automatic. It's like when you learn how to drive. When you first start to drive, you have to really focus on everything. You're checking the mirrors, you're looking where all the gears and levers are, how to use the pedals, which foot you're going to use, and you have both hands on the wheel and you're just paying attention to everything. 10 years later, after you've been driving for a while, or now, I'm not saying this is a good thing because I don't condone this, but most of us probably drive with our knees, eating a sandwich in one hand, texting in the other, and with the radio on full blast. This is what we do because we have this identity of, I'm someone that can drive. I've done it so many times. It's just something I do. And you just do it. You don't think about it. You just do it. And so when you make those changes in your life, you need to get to the point where it's just how you show up. It's just what you do. I and like that. You know, the, first of all, it's a little spooky because it sounds like Mario has a, uh, uh, one of those uh, hero cameras. What is it? GoPro in my uh, car because watching me uh, have multiple <laughs> Subway sandwiches in the hands and making calls and drinking uh, drinks. Uh, that is definitely how I like to drive. Uh, so I definitely want to just drive this point home to the Oscars out there. Listen, that in fact, mindset is kind of the, the foundation that the, the whole structure is built on, right? Your, your mentality, your day, your, the results of what you do. Without that mindset being started in a uh, predictable and ideally positive way, you are, you're just, you're letting the chips fall where they may, where you could stack the chips up just like you want them if you try to control that. And I think that's, that's a really important point. Um, so, uh, you know, first of all, I love how these, you know, your stories were, were pivotal in your, your history to kind of help you learn some of these lessons. Uh, how, how did the transition come from, you know, cooking into, you know, your podcasting and your coaching and, and so forth? Uh, how, how did that transition happen? Well, when I started coaching, like I said, I, I dove into the mindset because I realized that that was the differentiating factor between people who got the results and kept them and people who just got the results and they went back to being whoever they were before they started. So I started really studying mindset. I got certified in strategic intervention. I started really going to any leadership seminar, mindset seminar I could go to. I read a ton of books. I listened to all the audios I could find, really educated myself on mindset and how to make shifts in your life. So that was one thing I did. The other thing I did was as I was coaching people, they knew that I used to be a chef. So everyone was saying, what can I eat? What can I eat? Because people think that when it's time to eat healthy, all you can eat is grilled chicken and salad. And they eat the same thing every single day and then they get tired of it and don't eat it anymore. So then they go through the drive through and then it's a vicious cycle. So instead of sitting down with everyone one-on-one -on -one and trying to figure out a meal plan, I decided to write a cookbook. So I ended up writing two cookbooks that were geared towards healthier eating. And those books sent me on a media tour where I did over 50 TV shows. Uh, I had my own radio show. I had my own local TV show for a while. I wrote three different columns for the local newspaper that were 
weekly columns. And so I was very busy doing that. And as I did that, that's how I learned about podcasting. I learned about radio. I learned about media. And I found that I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed spreading that message to people. And with the mindset stuff that I was working on, I knew that there was a message there that could help more people than just the ones who wanted to lose weight. So I, I still do some weight stuff with people who want to lose weight if they come to me specifically for that, but I'm more focused on how do we spread ideas? How do I help people spread their message? How do I help you develop the mindset where, because I believe that everyone has a unique calling. Everyone has this uniqueness within them that they are perfectly equipped to go out into the world to do. But the question is, Will you put in the time and the effort to figure out what your calling is and then to hone that over time and make it better so that you can serve as many people as possible with that? Because the example I like to use is like the Beatles. I mean, when they were born, they weren't born with a guitar and a piano in their hands just playing like the Beatles, right? They had to realize that, hey, I really love to play music. I really like to write music and perform. So let's get together and form the Beatles and let's really practice and work on that. And what a lot of people, I don't know if you've ever read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Sure. He talks about the Beatles in that book. And the Beatles would go over to, I believe it was Germany, and they would play for hours and hours. Like they would play eight hour gigs. When you go to a concert here in the US, it's typically an hour and a half long. But the Beatles would play for eight hours at a time, day after day after day. And then when they came back to the US as the Beatles, everyone was so surprised that they were the Beatles. But yeah, they were very talented. They had that innate calling and that gift, but they had to practice and put in the time to get to get to that level, to get to that world-class level to become the Beatles. And I believe we all have that within us. Maybe not. Maybe it's not mu music specifically, but you have something in you that if you put in the time and the effort and you hone that skill and you work on it, you can get to that world-class level. You have everything you need. You just need to put the time in and really focus on it and then use it to serve as many people as possible. And so I believe that my message is helping people realize that and then helping them get their message to the world to as many people as possible so that they can serve as many people as possible with their unique gift. Because whatever your gift is, there's someone out there that needs that. There's someone out there that's praying for that. It's just a matter of can you show up and can you get it in front of them? And if you can, not only is it going to change your world, but it's absolutely going to change theirs because they need it. Well, this goes back to one of the, the show principles that we have here at Awesomers, which uh, we we co-opt uh, the great Zig Ziglar's quotation, which is something like, you know, you can have everything you want in your life if you help enough other people get what they want in theirs. And the the that premise of being able to serve others without real, you know, kind of hard expectations is 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 a wonderful thing. And I, I just love the evolution, right? So you're you're chefing it up. You talk to your dad. He says, you know, hey. Uh, here's what I'm doing. You can do it too. You say, I'm in, I'm going to change that mindset. I'm going to get my mentality organized. Uh, you uh, not only bring down the weight, you, all the people around you say, Hey, this looks amazing. How do we get involved? So that's the beginning of your coaching. And then that transitions, you know, kind of from the, the food side of it, right on into the mindset side of it. So what a, what a superlative uh, evolution that is. Uh, have you, have you ever looked back and, and, and kind of quantified a best day and go, you know, this, uh, even if it wasn't your very best day on a top 10 list, a, a day that you just said, this was a pretty good day, you know, along your journey. A any uh, victory lap you want to share with us? I don't think there's one. I think the first time I ever did TV was a big thing for me because it was something that I'd never thought that I would even really enjoy. I just did it because I wanted to get my book out there and then I ended up really loving it. And at the end, I just felt like I was, I was just in the flow and I nailed it. And it was something that opened my eyes that said, maybe this is something I'm kind of good at and I want to do. So that, that kind of stands out. Um, but really, 
I, I think my best days haven't come yet. And that's, that's what keeps me going because I'm still fairly young. At least I feel young. Um, so I, I think that I have a lot ahead of me. It's just a matter of keeping that momentum going. And I tell everyone on my podcast nearly every day, I say, you know, from the minute you open your eyes in the morning to the minute you close them at night, you're building momentum. It's just a matter of, are you building it towards the things you desire and towards the outcomes you want to achieve? Or are you letting circumstance dictate where your momentum goes. So if you leave it to chance, you're going to get chance. If you have vague outcomes and vague things that you want, you're going to take vague actions, you're going to get vague results, and you're going to look up one day and wonder why you're not where you want to be. So it's all about being intentional and figuring out what direction you want to go in, where you want to go, and then taking steps every day to get there and enjoying the present moment. Because the other really um, lesson, the really hard lesson that I take that I tell people, and I say hard because it's in stone, and it's something that's that important. Once I got this, it kind of changed my life. <laughs> and it's the present moment is all we have. And it's all we'll ever have. You know, we can take the lessons from the past and the wisdom that we learned and apply them to the present. And the future may or may not come. But even when the future does come, it comes in the form of the present moment. So you never have anything other than the moment that you're in. And no matter what you're doing right now in this moment, it's the most important thing, period. It doesn't matter if you have a huge client meeting coming up or a presentation or that doesn't matter because that's in the future and that will come as the present moment. But right now, the things you're doing in this moment right now are determining how your future present moments show up. So even if it's walking the dog or you know making coffee or saying hi to someone outside, that's the most important thing you could be focused on right now. And I think if we spend more time in the present moment and less time reliving the past or stressing about what could or could not come, then we'll live more fulfilled. Because why would you, and this is the analogy I like to use for this, and I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, I've never gone skydiving, have you? No, but my brothers uh, enjoyed it and it seemed terrifying to me. Okay, but yeah, I, exactly. I still want to do it, but uh, exactly. yeah, so far it's, I'm just scared. I'm on the fence about it because I'm not a big heights guy, but it's, it just seems so intriguing to me. But anyway, I've talked to a lot of people that have gone skydiving because a lot of people have that on their bucket list. And from the stories that I've heard and all the people that I've talked to, I hear the same thing from everyone. It's the fact that when you sign up to go skydiving, you're super pumped, you're excited. I'm going to check this off my bucket list. I love this. This is going to be great. Then as the time comes closer to the actual jump, suspense and uh, stress builds and builds and builds and fear starts to creep in. Then the night before, you can't even sleep typically. You're in your bed, and this is before your first jump. You're shaking, you're thinking about jumping out of this plane, and you're just scared to death. The next day you wake up and you somehow drag yourself to the airfield. You get there and you meet the people and the other people that are going to be jumping, and the closer it comes, the more fear builds. You get in the plane and as the plane takes off, you're just kind of shaking and you're getting even more scared. You're sweating and you just have this sick feeling in your stomach. You're nauseated and you just don't know what you're going to do. Then you get up with your, the person you jump with and you go to the door and you hold on the sides of the door and they count down one, two, and they always jump on two because everyone holds on on three. <laughs> so one, two, they jump out and you just can't take. But then once you're in the air and you're hurtling towards the ground, it becomes this magical experience where you are just in such awe and it's just so amazing. And that's like the pinnacle of the whole thing. And then once you float down to the ground, they always want to do it again. And what strikes me about that is how, why is it that the only moment in that whole scenario when any danger could possibly happen is the moment where fear doesn't exist? The whole time leading up to that, you're in no danger but it, it, you allow it to affect you so much. And then when you're in the air and 
tragedy could strike at any moment, it's the best moment in the world. And so that makes me think, why should we let what may or may not happen in the future affect the perfect moment that we could have right now? And so if we can live more in the present and realize that the future is just made of those present moments and be more present with the people, with the things around us, with the activity that we're doing, with who we're serving and how we're serving them, I think that it, it could really make your life much more fulfilling. Uh, for sure. I think that's a very, very good point. I hope that people are taking, you know, paying particular attention to this idea that, you know, we're so often focused on that future, right? As you say, which may or may not come, um, that we, our mindset gets polluted in the, in the now and we don't enjoy the journey, right? And that's, that's to me, part of the, the, the secret to life is enjoying the journey, right? The destination six feet under, you know, you know, what, if you're religious, maybe there's a, uh, you know, something else after there, but still on this earth, it's coming to an end and you're six feet under uh, and no reason to race to it, you know, enjoy that journey. And uh, I think that that is all about, you know, your mindset and getting it right. So maybe you could share with us your, your geo concept that you talked about, which uh, you defined earlier, but I have you dive into that because I, I find that to be a very, uh, I like anything systemic. And so you're waking up each day and you're, you're putting this geo process into place. What does that look yep. like? Yep. And this is the, it's how we start every single podcast. So I take, if I have a guest on, I take at least three minutes to do this before the guest comes on. If, and a lot of times I do the podcast solo. So I will even stretch this out to six or seven minutes and go more in depth with it because it's that important. Geo is, uh, is the way in which we start today. It's, jur- it's a journaling slash meditation exercise that I use to start each and every day and set the foundation for my day. And it is uh, GIO, but I like to start from back to front and I work it that way. And I start with the O and the O is outcome. So first and foremost, we need to figure out what is our outcome. When you think about your outcome, it has to be two things. It has to be clear and it has to be compelling. And when I say clear, I mean specific. So what specifically do you want? I have what I call an outcome journal and it's a little notebook and I'll show everyone here. This is my outcome journal that's watching on the video feed. And the only thing that goes into this notebook every single morning is my outcome. I have it distilled down into one powerful sentence that resonates with my psychology. And every day I write it, I read it and I say it aloud. So my mind, is solely focused on the outcome that I want to achieve. As now, soon as I, I just have, ask, is yes. this a daily outcome that you're trying to achieve or what, what is the outcome based on, the timeline? My, my outcome is what I'm most focused on right now. So sometimes it is a daily outcome. If that's if today I have to get this done, this is the most important thing to me. Uh, but t- typically it's, it's an outcome that I'm working on right now. So whatever, you know, with my business right now, what's my next milestone? What's all the, all the activities that I'm going to put into, where are they leading me? And that's how I can determine what activities I'm going to do and what I'm going to participate in. I always start with that outcome. You need to know what it is specifically. And that's why I write it every day because as I take action each and every day, it may change that outcome just a little bit because I get feedback. I figure out, I see where I'm going. I see what's happening. And so it's so interesting to me to go back in my outcome journal like three months and read that outcome and then look at today's because typically they're on the same trajectory. But it's a, it's a living statement, and that's why I say it's organic because it's, it changes. It can change from day to day slightly, but when it changes, it becomes more specific. And the more specific I get it, the more compelling it becomes, and the more I can put energy and focus behind it, and I want to take action because you remember, we don't always do what we should do, but we do always do what we must do. So when you get that so clear and so compelling, it becomes a must, and you can't see yourself 
not achieving that and not experiencing that in your life. And that's part visualization. So the first part of the exercise, this outcome part, is the journaling part because I journal and I write that out and I focus on that. Then that takes us into the eye of geo, which is intention. And when I say intention, I mean now that you know what you want and you know why you want it, what do you intend to do about it? And so intention means action to me. So this is where I'm not a big guy on to-do lists because I think people, when they do to-do lists, they focus more on the action, but the action doesn't really matter. The action can change. For instance, wherever you're sitting, listening to this podcast right now, or whether you're on the treadmill or whatever, if your goal was to get from where you are to one mile away from where you are, there's an infinite number of ways you can do that. You can walk, you can run, you can crawl, you can take a bike, you can take a bus, you can take a car, you can take a plane, you can probably even take a drone these days. But there's an infinite number of ways you can get from where you are to one mile away. However, there is a more effective way, depending on what your desired outcome is. If speed is your desired is your desired outcome, then it's probably more effective to take a car than it is to walk. If being environmentally friendly is your outcome, then it's better to walk than to take a car. So it just depends. So the action really isn't important. What's important is you know your outcome and you build your actions based on your outcome, based on what is it that I want and how can I get there? How do I think I can get there as quickly as possible? So I set three intentions every day with that outcome front and center. Number one, what's one thing I can do right now within the hour? Because right now when my outcome's front and center in my mind and I have nothing else distracting me, I want to make sure I get at least one thing done that's going to help me build momentum towards that. And it starts my day with a sense of achievement. So what's one thing I can do within the hour? Second one's one, what's another thing I can do within the 24 hours of today? So that by the end of today, I have two outcome-focused action items that I get done. And if you do that only Monday through Friday, that's 10 action items that you're going to complete every single week. That's 40 every month, which really compounds and becomes a lot. The third thing is what's one thing that I can focus on a little bit each day that's maybe a longer scope project. Maybe it's something I collaborate with other people on, but it's something that keeps that outcome in the back of my unconscious mind at all times so that when things come up and I'm out in the world, since it's always playing in the background, it's like those windows you have on your computer when you open a new tab, but the other tabs are still running in the background. If you have that in the back of your unconscious mind, now when things come up, you can see them as an opportunity and you can act on them. Whereas if you're not, have you ever gotten a car or an outfit or a phone or something that you really wanted for a while and then you get it and all of a sudden you notice everyone else around you has the same thing or you see it appear more? Of course. It's not that it's appearing more. It's just that now that you're focused on it and you have it, you start to notice it more. And so that's what you want to do with that, with that thought, that 24, where you're doing something a little bit each day over a longer period of time. And finally, this all comes down to the G and Geo which is the X factor or the state that you're in. And that's gratitude is what I choose for that state. Because when you're in a true state of gratitude, you cannot feel a negative emotion. And when you're truly grateful, the more you intentionally get into gratitude and the more you focus on that and you do it intentionally, the more it'll show up in your life in other areas when you're not even really thinking about it. Because we all have default emotions. We all have emotions that we default to. If you make gratitude your default emotion, that it'll start to show up in other places. Instead of being angry or confused or frustrated, what if you replace that with gratitude so that you would become more appreciative instead of expecting something to happen and being disappointed it didn't? What if you became grateful that you had that? So there's three things that I focus on every day when it comes for gratitude. And this is where meditation comes in. I close my eyes for at least five minutes every morning and I think about what's one thing that I get to receive every day. What's one thing that maybe I've fallen into the law of familiarity that I don't notice that I tend to take for granted a little bit that I can now focus on and build massive amounts of gratitude around that. And I like the small things because the small things lead into the big things. And if you can build massive amounts of gratitude around the small things, then you'll be able to build even more gratitude around the big things. The second thing is what's one thing that I get to give every day because we have the power to control what we give, when we give, and how much we give. And 
giving is what ultimately leads to receiving and contribution is ultimately what leads to fulfillment. So what's one thing that because I give that to the world and I put it out there, it creates an impact and then leads to fulfillment in my own life. And finally, what's one thing that I am that I can be grateful for? Because I am are two of the most powerful words you can say. And your identity determines your beliefs, which determine your results. So instead of using negative self-talk, instead of putting yourself down and being hard on yourself, become your own biggest fan. Do it on purpose. Tell yourself things like, I am perfect at my core. I always make it through. I always find a way. I am unstoppable. Life is happening for me. And when you tell yourself those things and you do it intentionally over time, what you tell yourself consistently, you will begin to believe. So when you're telling yourself those things, you'll begin to believe them. And as I said earlier, whenever we're confused or we come up against a challenge or an obstacle, we always revert back to our strongest conditioning. So if you condition yourself to show up as unstoppable, to believe that you always make it through, to believe that life is always happening for you, then when those obstacles come up, you will show up that way. You'll break through those barriers. You'll begin to transform and create that new identity that is capable of achieving the outcome that you want to achieve. And then it has no choice but to show up in your life. I, I really love that. And you know, I like particularly how you uh, brought this idea of, you know, kind of dropping in these, these little breadcrumbs uh, for ourselves, you know, not just the, the mindset uh, clues, right? I, I am uh, worthy. Uh, I'm really great at this. I always find a solution to every problem, right? That positive reinforcement, it, it works. By the way, the negative reinforcement also works. So don't do that, right? It's like, uh, I never get this right or you know, everything bad happens to me. Uh, all that kind of stuff, you got to get rid of it if you can. But you referenced the the uh, Butter-Meinhof phenomenon, which is the this concept of once you buy the red Corvette or whatever, you see red Corvettes everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think it really has a high degree of uh, parallel because if you surround yourself with positive you know, mentality and the, the, the intent and the gratitude and the outcome, all of those things are kind of threaded into your day. You're, the, the phenomenon basics, uh, you guys can uh, go ahead and look it up on the internet, but it, it basically says you're going to see those patterns more likely because you're a part of those patterns now. They existed, by the way, the entire time. They, they, you know, the, nothing has changed in the world except your mindset. And that's why I think that's such a powerful thing. So thank you for bringing that up. That's amazing. Absolutely. And just to add to that, there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system or the RAS. And that's what's responsible for guiding your focus. So as people, if you sit and you look around the room, even that you're in right now, there's a million different things you could be focused on. You could be focused on all the different sounds, all the different conversations, all the different lights, all everything. But your brain has this unique ability to focus you in on the one thing that it believes is the most important to you whether that's the most important to get you to your outcome or most importantly to keep you alive. And so if you can train your brain to focus on what you want, it'll start to find those things that you want and help you focus on those things. And that's what's so important about what you just said. Boy, I really, I just, I, I support this concept that, you know, getting your mind uh, right first thing every day, that seems like a very, very good idea. Uh, Mario, tell us, uh, how do people find you? You know, we, we talked about your, your podcast. Uh, clearly, they can find that. You must have a website. Could you share that with us? Yeah, my website's mariopereca.com. Really easy. It's by name, M-A-R-I-O-P-O-R-R-E-C-A.com. And you can go there. And for the podcast, you can go to 10minutemindset.com. It's 10minutemindset.com. And that'll take you to the podcast page on the website. So those are the best ways to find me. And all my social media links and everything are at my website. I love it. I definitely think you're uh, you're doing really important work out there for awesomers and you know anybody who wants to break that paradigm of normal, anybody who wants to you know kind of get into the world of achievement 
where it's sustainable and it's enjoyable instead of pressure and noise and, and all the, the, you know, kind of ugly parts of you know, uh, achievement, right? You know, I don't envision a world where I have to work, you know, 80 hours a week to, to live my fullest life. And I've done, you know, that type of things before. So now over the course of my last 30 years, I've seen better ways, right? And I've had some good fortune along the way and, and been able to figure out, hey, there's, there's smarter, better, faster ways to achieve what I want to achieve. And, and again, enjoying the journey is, is part of that. So uh, I really uh, love having you on the show. I appreciate all of your uh, uh, great uh, bits of wisdom. I just wonder, is there a, any kind of final message you'd like to leave with the awesomers out there listening? Yeah, I guess just what you said, just to, to back up what you said about not wanting to work the 80-hour weeks and all that stuff, that you're capable of it, you've done it, but you don't want to do it. And I tend to want to look at it from a place of instead of everyone preaches work-life balance, right? So you have to balance your work life and your home life. And all that. But I don't really buy into that theory. What I think is more important is work-life integration. So how do you, if you have a mission that you're passionate about, if you have something that lights you up, whatever that is, and keep in mind that whatever that is, when you find it, it's not something you have to balance because it just becomes part of who you are and you find it. And it doesn't, if what you're doing, you're super passionate about and you love, it's not going to negatively affect any other part of your life. If it's what you're meant to be doing and you're passionate about it, it's going to by default enhance everything else in your life. So if you're doing something that's very meaningful to you, that you love, that you're passionate about, that you're on purpose, it's going to make your home life or your family life even better because you're going to show up more there too. So finding that there's no such thing as work-life balance when you're looking for your purpose. How can you have a work-life integration where it's all just one thing? You show up as that person. You live your life as that person. You're fully present with everyone around you and in every present moment of your life. And because of that, you make your largest impact and you're really fulfilling your unique calling. And not only are you creating fulfillment within yourself, but you're serving the world around you at your fullest capacity. I love it. Uh, Mario, excellent, excellent sage wisdom for such a young fella. I definitely appreciate it. Uh, it's been very uh, nice having you on the show. Uh, Osmers, we will be right back after this. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Boy, as always, I just love a good origin story. And kind of understanding Mario's background and seeing where he came from and some of the journey he's been on, I always find it very interesting and often inspiring, the little tidbits that we learn about, you know, him cooking and becoming a chef and working crazy hours and kind of all the little twists and turns that it takes. I, uh, I always enjoy these stories, and I sure hope that you do too. Now, this, again, was episode number 36 of the Awesomers.com podcast series, and so all you have to do is go to Awesomers.com backslash 36 to find the relevant show details and notes etc well we've done it again everybody we have another episode of the awesomers podcast ready for the world thank you for joining us and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe like and share this podcast heck you can even leave a, a review if you wanted awesomers around you will appreciate your help it's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Osmers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again. 
Radio.com.